capital A, capital C, capital E. It stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. An in-depth look at what it means for a kid to go through an adverse childhood experience. The wiring of a child's brain is becomes more adapted to dealing with danger. The solutions to combat it. This is our community. These are our kids. Plus, how COVID-19 is adding another challenge to the mix. There are struggles and, you know, there's frustrations. On this episode of Let's Talk Cincy. From WLWT, this is Let's Talk Cincy, presented by Western and Southern Financial Group. Put our financial strength behind you. As the world continues to change, it's important to be able to identify something called ACEs, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Welcome to Let's Talk Cincy. I'm Alexis Rogers. Extremely stressful experiences can weigh more on a child than you might think. Some are so stressful they can even alter the biological makeup of a person. There's a one-of-a-kind effort happening right here in Cincinnati involving educators, healthcare professionals, community members, and more who are all working to prevent and reverse the effects of childhood trauma, all a part of ACES. Life can be like a game of cards. The hand you're dealt and the way you play are two different things. In schools, when it comes to trauma, life is not a matter of holding good cards. Kids have a lot to sift through in life. And I can tell you, I have saved lives being in that school building. I have literally saved lives. Especially in this current climate. ACEs are a public health crisis. But even before the pandemic, dealing with trauma has proven to be one of the most imperative roles of school systems around Cincinnati. It really is, you know, life and death for our kids that we are trying to create the opportunities for kids to be able to create their own destiny and to change the course of their life based on their passions and their beliefs and what they see for themselves. Northwest local schools helped spearhead a program called Adverse Childhood Experiences, also known as ACEs. Because schools are a microcosm of communities, the issues and the emotions and all of the traumas that happen in communities bleed right into the schools. Breaking down barriers. So although these conversations are new, this is not new for people who deal with kids on a daily basis. Addressing aspects of life from communities and homes, then bringing the conversation into academic settings. Northwest local school officials and other experts argue this has to be the focal point. The efforts stem from a special relationship with Georgetown University. So Georgetown has a very, very famous institution called the Institute for Juvenile Justice. It's one of the leading uh, institutions in the country in regard to what we do. And um, several uh, a couple years ago, they put out a proposal for counties across the United States to make application for them to come into the field to create a capstone project. Hamilton County was one of those applicants, and out of the uh, whole country, we won the bid. And we won that because um, the president, the head of the institute, said that there's not another county in the United States right now that can bring the systems together that we can in Hamilton County. We've also recently re-engaged Georgetown with seven partners, um, Northwest, Cincinnati Public, Princeton City Schools, the Hamilton County Educational Service Center, Jobs and Family Services, Legal Aid, and Juvenile Court to really collectively look at regional impact and how we can consolidate resources and expertise and actually address some of these issues regionally instead of specifically. 
Each district hopes ACES leaves a generational impact. It's everyone's responsibility. That's why when we enter into these partnerships, we bring people into our partnership who actually can leverage resources and be a part of the conversation so that we're solving problems and not shifting blame. Our strategic plan that we just rolled out addresses the fact that we as a system are looking at things not only from a student achievement perspective, but from a social emotional learning perspective, a diversity and equity perspective, financial stability to make sure that we can maintain what we're doing, and creating a culture of trust where people are able to engage with us in these authentic and sometimes vulnerable conversations. A chance for a new direction, a sense of stability. Schools are responsible for creating that bridge to allow students to be able to understand how to you know, deal with what it's like to be a kid in today's society and still be able to grow effectively into a young adult that has the skills they need to be successful. A community finally able to play the card they need the most. As you can see, there are so many different layers to this approach, so many different people who are involved, but the first step is knowing how to identify each one of these ACEs. Coming up, how an alternative court program is addressing disciplinary issues while keeping students away from big court downtown and incarceration, next on Let's Talk Sensei. Hi there and welcome back. As we've learned, ACES is being combated with a multi-level approach. The Divisionary Court Program has helped combat truancy and behavioral issues and ultimately identify resources needed for each family. This district says that they believe this is saving lives. How long had this been brewing? Because you said you wanted to be there for your friends, so you kind of knew something was going to go down, right? Taking a different approach to discipline. It don't come with a handbook or receipts. <laughs> It don't. <laughs> in a way that's impacting students and parents outside of the classroom, this is Northwest Local Schools Divisionary Court Program. So I've been with the county for 21 years. This is Magistrate Deanna Niederman's second home. I'm just here to work with you to identify what are the issues that are bringing you to the court's attention and put a plan in place to address those issues. And then if we're successful and you're doing everything that you need to do, then we can dismiss this charge and it's as if, it's as if it were never filed against you. Um, it's a process that even parents appreciate. It was actually a, a smooth process. It went better than I thought it was going to go. Uh, and I think it, it's good for the kids too to see what's really going on and how one bad decision in a split second could change your life. Whether it's truancy or behavioral issues, the goal here is to figure out the story behind the action. We have, see probably around 15 to 16 cases a day. And um, I think, you know, one of the things that Judge Williams has really been pushing is we really need to work with these families to identify what's going on so that we can continue to give them more options. We don't want kids to be coming downtown. We believe that interventions closer to the, the in the school are better. There's there's less uh, fear. We don't want people to be uncomfortable. This is a multifaceted approach, not just in these these diversionary situations that we're we're dealing with in Colerain. Um, we're working all over Hamilton County. An approach that this father says can make generational change. I actually think it's pretty good because when I was in school, it was just you got suspended or expelled. That was it. 
it wasn't really trying to get down to see what caused the child to really act out and do things stuff gets passed down in DNA. Uh, but like I said, like as the new generation, we got to kind of correct things. Like, cause we know how like we wanted some things to change as we grew up. We said when we adults, we do it this way. Like when, like as far as her, like I always said, I she got, it's an open door with her. I tell her anything she want to talk about, she can come talk to me. The court diversion program is a family of sorts, one that's all about the achievements being made in spite of. One kid last year in particular, he came in, interestingly enough, not on a truancy charge, he came in on a possession of marijuana charge. And the team really worked hard with him. His administrator just did everything that he could think of to help this kid be successful. And then you have the big ones. Um, you know, one of the things that I started doing a couple years ago is I go to the graduations. I go to Northwest High School's graduation and I go to Coleraine High School graduation. And there's nothing like sitting in that audience watching a kid that you know has struggled day in and day out to get to school walk across with their diploma. It's amazing. It's those personal touches that stick with each family in a different way. I told her, like, we talked about this, and I told her she shouldn't have did what she did, but it happened, so we got to go from there. I told her, like, you, you got to take control of yourself. You got to be responsible for yourself. A team willing to put all of their cards on the table to bet the most on each student's success. She has support at home and at school. That is. That's why I tell her, really, it really ain't no reason why she should be staring left. So many interesting conversations happening around this subject. Now, health professionals and educators play a very big role in understanding how to combat ACEs. And we caught up with a local pediatrician who's really been leading the way on this effort and has been at the forefront. He says that people's plight simply starts with recognizing the trauma. Kids are not the same as little adults. They're very different. And one of the things that is really we need to take note of is that childhood is a time of development and the brain is developing and their bodies are developing and changing. And this topic we're talking about today, adverse childhood experiences, directly ties into that because ACEs can um, derail uh, child development. It stands for adverse childhood experiences. And what an ACE is, it's an event, it's an experience during childhood up to the first 18 years of life that causes a child to experience a lot of intense, frequent stress. So ACEs cross all socioeconomic lines. They are children who are living in poverty, children who are affected and uh, are dealing with racism and other forms of inequity definitely have a higher dose of ACEs and perhaps have less of a chance to build resilience. ACEs, however, are a community-wide issue and all you need to do is look at the mental health crises that we have in schools today, look at the violence that we have in schools. These uh, problems obviously are not uh, inner city problems. These are not problems just of children living in poverty, but they affect all of us. Well, the science of ACEs has to do with stress and resilience. And ACEs cause unexpected, frequent levels of stress during childhood. And so we're talking about child abuse and neglect. We're talking about witnessing violence, whether it's in the community or in the home. Uh, we're talking about living with a parent with mental illness or who uses substances. These are things that during childhood cause a lot of stress. Schools now are recognizing that bullying is a cause of stress, as is social media. 
And so the science is that elevated levels of stress overwhelm a child's body. You know, stress is not necessarily a bad thing. And in fact, children learn to do their best because they feel stress at times and they need, they feel that compulsion to excel. But if stress is too intense, too frequent, and there aren't ways for that child to deal with that stress, say with the help of a nurturing, trusted adult, it overwhelms the body. And so a child's brain changes. The wiring of a child's brain is, becomes more adapted to dealing with danger and keeping them safe than helping them with critical thinking um, and learning and education, higher executive functions. Their body also becomes more accustomed to living in a world of stress. And eventually what that does is it sets their body up to be at increased risk for diseases like cancer and heart disease and mental illness. In fact, five of the 10 leading causes of death are related to ACEs. And children who are exposed to four or more ACEs in their first 18 years of life have a four times increased likelihood of being depressed, 12 times likelihood of uh, having a suicide attempt, and twice as likely to have a diagnosis when they get older of cancer, heart disease, uh, lung disease, and other illnesses. Without the proper supports, affects a child's ability to learn, it rewires the brain to be safe, to deal with threats, threats rather than learning, and it also conditions the body to be ready to fight and to protect, but at the expense of long-term health. If you are working with uh, someone, say, who was diagnosed with cerebral palsy as a youth and is now requiring the use of crutches or a wheelchair. This is a very visible problem that we can learn to address and accommodate and be sensitive to and help that person succeed. So ACEs don't, people don't walk around with a sign on their forehead that they were affected by ACEs or trauma. But it's no different because brain wiring and how an individual affected by ACEs adapts to their situation, how they communicate, what sets them off, is often affected by their experiences during childhood. And so it's a little bit harder for us as a community and as adults to recognize. And as you can see, that's a very helpful analogy as he talks about visible problems or visible disabilities Things like having crutches or needing a wheelchair usually get addressed rather quickly. But as he has done research from school to school and neighborhood to neighborhood, childhood trauma needs that same sense of action, even if it's hard to recognize the problem. A school created with fighting childhood trauma in mind, the techniques that are working and how you can even use them at home, coming up on Let's Talk Cincy. I think we all can agree that our kids generally want to do well. Experts tell us that they want to learn, but there are many obstacles that get in their way. One Northwest local schools elementary school is addressing their students' ability to self-regulate and get in a better place where they can learn the best they can. How are you feeling today? Sunny. Sunny? Good. That seems like a simple question. Many of us respond without even thinking. At Taylor Elementary, it's a step towards potentially saving lives, just like the weather. Some days are sunny, some days are cloudy, some days are all of the above. Good morning, how are you doing? 
Feeling partly cloudy. Partly cloudy. And do you want to talk about it? No. There are options here. Do you want to use the calm down corner? Nothing. Interactive and intentional outlets to allow each child to work through their emotions day by day, hour by hour. I felt angry when you called me. Sometimes it's just a matter of one-on-one -on -one attention. So we breathe in and we breathe out. Explaining. We count backwards because it's not a normal thing we do. And what it's doing is requiring the upper. To help each child understand themselves a little more. What we're trying to do right now, we're trying to reset you. We're I have the great pleasure of kind of opening this building um, and building it from scratch. And so we wanted to make sure we built it a certain way and had certain things in place from the very beginning. We noticed um, last year that a lot of our students were coming off the bus or getting out of cars and they just were not having a good day already. Um, and that just was really difficult for us to kind of understand and comprehend, like how already are you having a bad day? So my trauma team that I have in place that works on just a lot of our PBIS and some social emotional learning that we do here, decided we need to do something different. We're doing some restorative type circles, but also during that time, we have two adults in every room that are checking in with each student. Um, we call them our emotional check-ins. We have a 30 minutes block at the beginning of the day. We call it an extended literacy homeroom. But it's a great way for students to kind of calmly walk in the door. There's not a lot of expectations. They're doing some reading. They're doing some writing, some journal writing. They're doing some reflection. They can let us know that they're feeling stormy, which means I'm having a really bad day. I might need to talk to someone or I might just need some time and support to I feel great today, I'm sunny, I am ready to rock and roll and, you know, get learning. And as adults, we check in with the students as well and we tell them how we're feeling on the weather strip. We're trying to work on building empathy and if, if we're not telling them how we're feeling and the truth as to why maybe we're feeling that way, then we can't expect them to have that same kind of honesty with us. The main goal for each student is to keep them engaged without having to be completely removed. It's a technique that can even be used at home. Generally, we call them the calm down corners. If a student is struggling and they've been able to let us know that they're struggling, um, we have conversations with them. What can I do? Do you want a private conversation? We can go in the hallway. Sometimes they just need a quiet spot to kind of gather themselves. So we've created kind of calm down corners in every classroom. This allows them to kind of remove themselves from the expectations that they have in the classroom. Um, we have lots of resources back there. So this is, we call this the zone because it is based on the zones of regulation. So if we do have a student who is struggling in their day for whatever reason, whether it's something that happened here on the bus at home, we provide a bunch of support in the classroom, but at times we know that they might need more support. Um, we talk about the zones of regulation. We talk about strategies that they can use to calm down and help um, self-regulate so that ultimately we can get them back into the classroom. So their stay down here could be as long as 15, 20 minutes. It could be as short as five minutes, just depending on what each child needs. 90% of those kids that do need this space for whatever reason are able to go back to class and successfully finish the day and learn. The constant reminder at Taylor for students and staff is to have grit. Meaning you just got to give it your all. You can't give up. Um, you stick with something until you finish it. You, you try to do it the best you can. If it's not right, you don't just wave the white flag. You go back and you get it right because it instills that sense of pride in you. I will get emotional in front of the whole staff, in front of the whole students, when I see us moving in a positive direction. And when teachers bring students up to show their grit or their success and, hey, let's celebrate, you know, a, a, a small victory that this student had, I get so excited for that 
because they need that. They need the cheerleader. They need someone to love them unconditionally and to kind of accept them for who they are. And if I think that we all could use a cheerleader. Well, the work is far from done. Coming up, what advocates for kids say needs to happen to address what experts are calling a public health emergency. Like many, like many school districts around our area, Northwest local schools are gearing up to go back. Their families have the option of going virtual or going to school. Regardless of what they choose, there will still be a focus on childhood trauma. And so as we start to gear up for another year that's going to look very different than last year, that idea of mitigating the effects of ACEs and trauma through maintaining a strong connection to a trusted adult is at the forefront of what we're trying to put in place. Our staff will be holding morning meetings with kids so that they can actually have connections to a staff member and with other kids so they have that socialization piece and they have that connection with another adult as well as peers. And so we're building those predictable times in where, you know, it may be through Zoom, um, kind of like we're doing now, but it will be that connection to an adult and ability to see someone's face and have that personal connection. And so for me, it's really brought to light and really shined a light on the need to build those relationships. And I think we've built some relationships with the court, with the YWCA, with Children's Home, with Legal Aid. We have really strong partners with Joining Forces and the need to continue to build those networks, those resources, and within our community, build the support networks and the relationships to make sure that everybody knows we're in it together, that we're moving forward together, and that it takes all of us in order to mitigate some of these risk factors and make sure that everyone has an equal opportunity for success. So you can see a lot of hard work still being done. The diversionary court program will look a little different too. Each family will actually have access to the same resources, just more on a one-on-one -on -one direct basis. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Let's Talk Cincy. Of course, we wanna hear from you. Email us all of your ideas at ltc at wlwt.com. We'll also see you next week for another Let's Talk Cincy, but remember, you can always watch full episodes or get more information on wlwt.com slash Let's Talk Cincy. And now you can also listen to Let's Talk Cincy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bottom line is, we wanna be a part of your day. Thank you for joining us and remember, stay encouraged.